to Roundhouse Kicks, we talk about sneakers, sneaker culture, and the people who create and consume it. Today we're talking about some of the best sneaker moments in the movies. So without further ado, let's get to it. I did some digging and couldn't conclusively figure out when sneakers made their very first appearance in film history, and I'm sure it was earlier than 1982, but the golden years for sneaker cameos certainly began around that time. In Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Sean Penn made his entrance into movie stardom in the iconic role of Jeff Spicoli, the pot-headed surfer dude who cruises through the movie without a care in the world beyond his surfboard and his commitment to taking it easy. Jeff can be seen throughout the movie sporting a pair of Vans checkerboard slip-ons. He can also be seen wearing them on the movie poster, which features the Spicoli character prominently after he became the breakout star of the film. Despite technically being a supporting role. The Vans slip-ons were released in 1977. Fast Times takes place in 1979. The slip-ons were a huge success in Southern California, particularly amongst surfers and skateboarders. Fast Times takes place in San Diego, and Spicoli, as I said, is a surfer. An iconic pairing. It's also worth noting that the Vans checkerboard slip-ons are extremely popular even today in Cali and elsewhere, 46 years after their introduction. A couple of years after Ridgemont became a box office success and Jeff Spicoli entered popular culture, fellow Canadian James Cameron gave us not one but two notable sneaker moments in his classic films 1984's The Terminator and 1986's Aliens. In Terminator, about a killer robot from the future sent back to the 80s to kill Sarah Connor, before she can give birth to John Connor, who will lead humanity in a war against humanoid machines in 1997, the Nike Vandal is seen on the feet of Kyle Reese. Reese is a soldier from the future who is sent back to the past by his commander, John Connor, to protect Connor's mother from the Terminator so that she can get prego with John and give birth to him so that he can fight the fight he's currently fighting in the present, which in the movie is the future, which takes place in the movie's present, which is the past, which is 1984. Confused yet? Don't worry about any of that. The point is, Reese is wearing the Nike Vandal in the movie in a black and silver colorway, which in retro releases was called the Nike Vandal Terminator, not to be confused with the Nike Terminator from 1985, which Nike made for the NCAA basketball team, the Georgetown Hoyas, and has no relation to the movie whatsoever. The Vandal looks like a Air Force One high, including the Velcro strap at the top, and like the Air Force, it was originally made for basketball. It's been more or less forgotten about in recent years by all but the most completest Nike basketball sneakerheads and naturally fans of the original Terminator. Two years after Arnold blasted his way through all of the Sarah Connors in the phone book, Cameron released a sequel to the classic Ridley Scott horror sci-fi Alien titled very simply Aliens, because now there's more than one. In Aliens, it's Reebok that gets its moment in the spotlight. This time Cameron commissioned Reebok to make a sneaker specifically for his movie, which makes sense as the movie takes place in the future and in space, and even if Cameron decided to put an intergalactic footlocker out there in the stars somewhere, what would it stock in 2179? Probably still Jordan Retros, actually. In this film, there are no footlockers, and the sneakers that Reebok designer Tuan Lee came up with was the Alien Stomper, 
a sort of mix between a futuristic military boot and a basketball sneaker. To be honest, in 2023, this sneaker doesn't look futuristic at all. It looks like a retro basketball sneaker from the 80s. Cameron sure as hell put it to good use in the film, though, as the name would suggest, the stomper gets to do just that. Stomp the shit out of alien life forms. It has a particularly iconic moment at the very end of the film involving an airlock, but that's all I'm going to say about it. If you haven't seen the movie, go do so. It's fun. The Reebok Alien Stomper has actually been released to the public several times in a few different Aliens-inspired colorways since the film's release, including a 40th anniversary edition in 2019 in its original colorway and a special edition package which included an Alien Stomping Guide within it. But in 2020, Reebok announced it was halting production on the Stomper for good. Rest in peace, Reebok Alien Stomper, and rest in peace the aliens that it stomped. Before we get to the 80s most significant sneaker moment, let's take a second to pay tribute to the Nike Skyforce 88 Mid, which got a very cool cameo in Richard Donner, Donner's classic family film, The Goonies, in 1985. When the movie was made, the Skyforce 88 was just called the Skyforce. Nike added the 88 in 1988 when they gave the shoe a technological makeover and design tweak. In The Goonies, the character Data, or Data, played by Ki Huai Kwan, who just recently won an Oscar for his role in the critically acclaimed Everything Everywhere All at Once, outfits his Sky Forces with technological goodies like the ability to spill oil out of the back and springs in the heels. It's a cool moment for a relatively unpopular Nike basketball silhouette that would have been forgotten a long, long time ago, if not for this movie. But slick shoes with heel springs were no match for the biggest Nike moment of the 80s and one of the most iconic appearances of any sneaker in any movie in the history of both sneakers and movies, and that is the bugging out scuff scene in Spike Lee's 1989 masterpiece, Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing takes place on the hottest day of the year on a single residential street in Brooklyn's Bedford-Stuyvesant neighborhood. The temperature outside mirrors and represents the temperature on the avenue when racial tensions boil up and eventually explode amongst the diverse population in the Brooklyn borough. The classic sneaker moment actually occurs as part of this racial, racial tension when a white cyclist in a Boston Celtics Larry Bird jersey scuffs the toe of character Buggin' Out's brand new, just bought, squeaky clean Air Jordan 4 white cements. Every sneakerhead knows the pain and the frustration of having a clean pair of kicks scuffed up by someone who has the audacity not to give your Jays the proper respect and proper distance to avoid such a mishap. If you have kids, this is basically impossible, as children seem to have a magnet in their feet that attracts them directly to your sneakers, no matter how careful you are or how many times you tell them to watch out. In 2017, Jordan and Nike paid tribute to this classic scene when they released a special edition version of the Jordan 4 white cement called the Jordan 4 Do the Right Thing, which came complete with the scuff mark scene in the film. Do the Right Thing wasn't the first time Spike Lee expressed his love for Air Jordans, or the last, which we'll get to in a minute. But the first was in his debut feature film, She's Gotta Have It, where he played the iconic character of Mars Blackman. In the film, Mars wore the Air Jordan 1s and loved them so much he refused to take them off. The indie The indie film got a lot of attention, including from Nike, who hired Spike to do a run of commercials as Mars, 
with Michael Jordan himself for the Air Jordans 4 and 5 models. Spike directed the black and white commercials made in the same black and white aesthetic as She's Gotta Have It. The commercials included the iconic line, Is It The Shoes?, inferring that it's Jordan's own sneakers that made him the best ball player in the world. Jordan says no Mars over and over, but Nike and Jordan had planted their seed. If you want to play like Mike, you gotta wear Mike's kicks. And almost a decade after Buggin' Out's kicks got messed up and do the right thing, Spike again gave the Air Jordan line some shine when he had Denzel Washington walk into a sneaker store while on furlough from prison and ask the clerk for a pair of brand new Air Jordan 13 white, red, and blacks in the movie He Got Game. In the film, Denzel's character is in prison for killing his wife but is granted a temporary release by the warden in order to convince his son, a high school basketball phenom, to sign with the warden's college of choice. His son, played very well by real-life basketball star Ray Allen, hates his pops for killing his moms, though, and simply asking his son to sign this college over that one won't be easy. It's a pretty ridiculous plot for a movie, actually, but it's a classic for hoopheads and sneaker lovers. The Jordan 13s that Denzel laces up were never called the white, red, and blacks again after that movie. They were forevermore known as the Air Jordan 13 He Got Games. In the 1990s, basketball and sneakers hit a high note, and there was one man to thank for both, Michael Jordan. The NBA had become one of the world's most profitable sports leagues. Jordan had become a global icon, and thanks to the Olympic Dream Team in 1992, basketball had become a global obsession. This meant that everything Jordan was wearing on his feet during that decade, from the Jordan 5 released in February 1990, until his second retirement in 1998 wearing a pair of Air Jordan 14s while canning a game-winning shot over Byron Russell and securing his second three-peat in eight years were must-have iconic pieces of footwear. But before that, after winning a gold medal in Barcelona with the greatest basketball team ever assembled, after his first three-peat, after his first retirement when he got very close to following Bo Jackson as a multi-professional sports icon, Just when people thought he couldn't get any more famous, Michael Jordan starred alongside Bugs Bunny in 1996's worldwide blockbuster, Space Jam. Space Jam shot Mike into a different stratosphere of fame, one that included people who didn't care about basketball, one that included the Saturday morning cartoon population. Now kids under 10 who didn't care about sports knew who he was, and everyone, and I mean everyone who had even a passing interest in sneakers, wanted the brand new Air Jordan 11s that Michael debuted in the film. The Air Jordan 11 Space Jam. The Space Jams weren't the only Jordans that showed up in the movie, though. Bill Murray wears Air Jordan 2s, and before he debuts the 11s, Mike is seen wearing the Air Jordan 9. But it was the black and white Space Jams that had the world of footwear buzzing when they finally released to the public on December 10th, 1996, exactly one month after the movie released, which was savvy on Nike's part. Space Jam is iconic for many reasons. It took a famous athlete and made him just as famous in the world of movies. It allowed Nike and Jordan to use the film as a very expensive advertisement for a new Jordan sneaker they were planning on releasing, and it showed us Mike could act. The film's pretty silly nowadays, and if not for the nostalgia points it gets, particularly from 90s kids, it would likely be as panned by critics as LeBron James's Space Jam movie was if it was released today. 
So for sneakerheads, Space Jam will always be on the short list of the greatest sneaker movies of all time, thanks to the sneaker it introduced to us. But a few years before Jordan was playing intergalactic basketball with Bugs and before Spike was lacing Denzel up with 13s to go one-on-one with his son and he got game, sports movie maestro Ron Shelton was lacing goofy white ball hustler Billy Hoyle up with a pair of Nike Air Command Forces in 1992's White Men Can't Jump. The Command Forces are very high-cut basketball sneakers that included what Nike called Air Fit technology, which was a ripoff of Reebok's pump technology, which was all the rage in the early 90s. The shoes have inflatable bladders in the ankle that you could fill or empty with air to allow for a perfect, customizable fit. The Command Forces didn't sell well. They were too big, too clunky, and you had to carry around a plastic box with the inflation device in it, and they did nothing to compete with the Reebok pumps, which were the coolest basketball shoe you could buy at that point. With all of that in mind about the silly Command Forces, though, The fact that Woody Harrelson's Billy Hoyle wears them throughout the film is absolutely perfect for his character. Of course, when talking about gimmicky sneaker ideas that find their way into movies, there is only one that is the most gimmicky, the most iconic, the most well-designed and well-imagined, and, in terms of what it costs to own the shoes today, the most expensive. And, in order to visit these sneakers, we have to travel back to the year 2015, which is the future as far as the sneakers are concerned, which means we not only have to travel back to 2015, but back to the future, too. I'm talking, of course, about the Nike Air Mag, the sneaker Marty McFly auto-laces up in the movie Back to the Future 2. See what I did there? In case you don't know, Back to the Future 2 came out in 1989 and mostly takes place in the future of 2015. Early in the film, Michael J. Fox's Marty McFly is given a pair of Nikes. He throws them on, is impressed to see that they are self-lacing, and then goes on about his business in the movie. The Nikes aren't mentioned again. But their small cameo made a big impact. They were designed by sneaker god Tinker Hatfield, the venerated designer of such classic kicks as the Air Maxes 1 and 90, and the Air Jordans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 11, 12, 13, 14, among many others. The Air Mag he designed was to look like a sneaker that people would be wearing in 26 years' time. And unlike the Alien Stomper, whose design as futuristic footwear has not aged well, the Nike Air Mag actually does look like some of the stuff the future would bring. It's super high cut, which isn't a very popular feature for sneakers right now, but we have seen it. The Kobe 9 High, for example, or the Nike Fear of God ones. The mags are also covered in a sock-like material. Sneakers with sock-like uppers were all the rage in 2015, thanks in large part to Adidas's Ultra Boost, NMD, and Yeezy lines. The mags also sport a midsole with a splattered paint design on it, which wasn't a thing in 1989, but is a regular occurrence now. And then you have the self-lacing tech. Nike has tried to wade into these waters a few times with varying success, most notably with their Nike Adapt BBs, which have their fans and their detractors. But what's most notable about the Nike Mag is that sneakerheads want it and have wanted it ever since they saw its brief appearance in 1989. And then in 2011, they got their chance, sort of. Nike, in collaboration with the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research, made 1,500 Nike Air Mags to be auctioned off on eBay with the proceeds going to the foundation. There were no power laces, but other than that, the shoes were the same as what you saw on screen. 
Those went fast and for a lot of money. Then it was announced these shoes would again see a release in 2015, this time with functional power laces. However, only 89 pairs were made of this model. So there are 1,589 pairs of Nike Air Mags out there to be had. And if you have, oh, say 15 grand for the 2011 pair or 30 or so for the 2015 pair that auto laces, you can have a pair for yourself. I would be very surprised if Nike ever brings these shoes back again, which make the ones that currently exist the piece de resistance of a serious sneakerheads collection. Not mine, however. I don't have that kind of money, and I think the shoes are kind of goofy looking anyway. I like the movie, though. The same year Tinker was designing self-lacing sneaker boots for the future past, he was designing another kind of sneaker boot for another alternate universe, this time one filled with good guys and bad guys with serious issues who dress up like rodents and other animals and battle each other for the keys to an inky black vision of New York. I'm talking, of course, about Batman, specifically 1992's Batman Returns. Tim Burton's vision for the caped crusader was decidedly darker than anything the world had seen before. Inspired by gothic architecture and dystopian cityscapes like the ones in 1982's Blade Runner, this movie and the one that preceded it are the sole reason that almost every Batman film since, from the animated series to the Dark Knight trilogy to Robert Pattinson's moody, masquerade, woe-is-me take on the character, is as dark and as brooding as they are. Nike again got the tap to create the footwear for the film's protagonist, and this time tinker, tinkered with the new Air Jordan model, the Air Jordan 6. The Jordan 6 was released in 1991, so when Nike was outfitting Batman with his own pair of Bat Jays, they were basically the newest and coolest in basketball footwear at the time. Tinker's modifications to the sneaker were relatively simple. He elongated the ankle part so that it stretched all the way up to Batman's knees. He added some armor onto the front and top of the shoes and painted them blackout black. What's cool about the Jordan bat boots is that they left the air bubble, the perforated cutouts on the uppers of the shoes, and although you can't see it in the movie, the Jumpman logo on the outsole. They could easily have obscured any reference to the Air Jordan 6 when designing the boot, but they left enough of it in so that people with discerning eyes could spot the 6s on foot. Sneaker and hoop heads like to think that that was Tinker and Warner Brothers' way of saying, we see you sneaker fans, this one's for you. All of these movies we've been talking about from the 80s and 90s exist in a time before sneaker culture became pop culture. When being a sneakerhead and drooling over a pair of non-existent Nike Air mags or eagle spotting Jordan 6s on Batman's feet put you in a relatively tiny group of people who obsessed over the leather, canvas, and rubber things people put on their feet. But if we fast forward a couple of decades, now we're in a world where being obsessed with sneakers is not only mainstream, but damn near required for those who, as DJ Clark Kent likes to put it, want to be fresh. As a result, we now have movies like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, where Miles Morales rocks a pair of Air Jordan 1 Chicago's, one of the most recognizable and sought-after Jordan sneakers of all time, from the beginning of that movie until the end. Not since Spike Lee's Mars Blackman refused to take off his Air Jordans, even to have sex, in 1986's She's Gotta Have It, has a character in a movie worn a pair of J's with as much dedication as Miles does in Spider-Verse. Nike and Jordan even released a pair of Spider-Verse Jordan 1 Chicago's to coincide with the release of the movie. 
They did the same thing recently for the sequel Across the Spider-Verse with a new take on the Jordan 1 Chicago that features details and patterns that reflect the hero's journey in the new movie. The video game version of Miles in Spider-Man Miles Morales, which came out in 2020, isn't rocking Jordans, but he does wear the same pair of black and red Adidas superstars throughout the game. And while the game is not an adaptation of the movie and is its own property, there was some heavy pushback from fans that the video game Miles was rocking Adidas and not the much cooler, iconic Jays from the movie. Even the non-animated Spider movies are getting in on the Jordan love, as Tom Holland's Peter Parker is spotted wearing a pair of Air Jordan 1 Hyper Crimson in Spider-Man No Way Home. There are now even movies made specifically for sneakerheads, such as this year's You People, which has more sneaker-hype Easter eggs than a sneaker-con convention. In the film, Jonah Hill's character, who is not a rich man but somehow is able to afford rich man sneakers, wears such sought-after grails as the Supreme Nike SB Dunk Lowe's in the Hyper Royal colorway, which resell for around $700, the Off-White Nike Dunk Lowe's, which resell for around the same. He also wears Undefeated's Nike Kobe Pro Tro 5s, Nike and Sakai's Vapor Waffles, and some expensive Yeezys. Nike's Sean Weatherspoon 97.1 sneakers are not only seen in the film, but are even turned into a giant wedding cake at one point. You People was directed and co-written by Kenya Barris, who's most well-known for creating the television show Blackish and its spin-offs. He also made and stars in the show Black AF, which is a semi-autobiographical show about his life. In that show, Kenya is dressed in the kind of clothing that you would expect someone to dress in with an interest in streetwear and sneaker culture, who also happens to be very, very rich. This means Gucci and Fendi and Louis Vuitton, but it also means rare and expensive Jordans, Nikes, and Yeezys on foot. And Yeezys, specifically the Yeezy Quantum Basketball Sneaker the brand released in 2020, feature prominently in Kid Cudi's 2022 animated romance, Enter Galactic. This was back when Cudi and Kanye were still on speaking terms, but in the film, Cudi's character Jabari is seen throughout in the Quantums. He's also dressed in off-white hoodies and has a giant statue of the Cause Clown in his condo. Cause is an artist that exists in the same universe as hype sneakers and streetwear. He even has a couple of expensive Jordan collabs under his belt. By this point, you might be asking the question, doesn't this all just boil down to product placement? The short answer to that is yes. Because while you do get the sense that Into the Spider-Verse is showing true love for street culture and the thrill of owning a pair of Air Jordans, on the other hand, Nike undoubtedly paid big bucks to have Miles Morales swing around New York in his Chicago Ones but at least they did it in a way that feels authentic and true to the character. Obviously, LeBron James's Space Jam sequel is jam-packed with Nike sneakers throughout, as is Kyrie Irving's Uncle Drew, as Irving was still signed to Nike at the time he made the movie. But those films are both universally disliked, not only because they're poorly written and tell silly stories, but because the product placement in both is so excessive they end up feeling like two-hour Nike commercials. So I guess it's all about how well they pull the product placement off, and most importantly, whether it fits or distracts from the movie. iRobot has a scene in it where Will Smith cracks open a pair of all-leather Converse chucks, and the camera lovingly hangs there with him for a moment before the movie continues on its way. It's worth noting that that film has also been lambasted for its distracting product placement in literally every scene. 
Forrest Gump, on the other hand, has a similar scene involving a pair of Nike Cortez sneakers that Forrest opens up, admires for a moment, and then tosses on his feet and runs around the world in for the rest of the movie. When iRobot did that, it was corny. When Forrest Gump did it, it worked. Another movie that that works in is Air, which was released this past April. Air is about Nike's attempts to sign Michael Jordan to their fledgling basketball division away from heavier hitters at that time like Adidas and Converse. The film lovingly documents the creation of the first Air Jordan sneaker, a sneaker Jordan was initially unimpressed by, but a sneaker that would go on to rule the world and turn Nike and Jordan into multi-billion dollar cash cows in the footwear industry. Obviously, in a movie about Nike, there is a ton of Nike stuff in it, but it doesn't feel cheap. It doesn't feel corny, and it doesn't feel like a commercial. It's just a movie about Nike, and there's lots of Nike product in it. It's a movie about the Air Jordan 1, and there's lots about that shoe in it. What it isn't about is Michael Jordan himself, and as a result, Michael Jordan is barely in it at all. Air is a movie for sneakerheads. And in a way, all of the movies I've mentioned in this episode are. They all pay tribute in some big or small way to the power, the presence, and the transformative nature of footwear. Because at the end of the day, shoes are just that. Shoes. They're a piece of clothing. Until Michael J. Fox straps them on his feet in the future. Or Batman in a dystopian New York City called Gotham. Or Spider-Man wears them while swinging through the multiverse. Or Gump runs all over America in them. Or Buggin' Out gets them broken by a careless Celtics fan. Or Jeff Spicoli gets high as a kite in them. Or, indeed, until Michael Jordan wears them. In a Space Jam or anywhere else. Because as his mother, played by Viola Davis, says in Air, a shoe is just a shoe until my son steps into it. And you could say the same about any one of the characters mentioned on this list. So there it is, some of the best sneaker movie moments. Thank you for hanging out. Thank you for your time. Please come hang out again next week when we'll be talking about how to build a sneaker collection on a budget. Take 